17. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts 17. Actually, I think it's going to come up for you guys. Acts 17, 22. It says, Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. Say very religious. For I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship. I even found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to be in your house again this morning. We thank you, Lord, that we can worship you, that we can see you moving, feel you moving in our own lives, Lord, and hear the testimonies of you moving in the lives of others. Our desire this morning, Lord, is that we would not just worship an unknown God, but that you would reveal yourself to us in a way that we would know who it is that we're, we are worshiping, Lord. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would have your way this morning, that you would open our eyes and open our hearts, Lord, that we would really be able to see who the I am is and what it is that you're doing, what your desire is for our lives, Lord. More than just gathering, more than just singing a few songs, Lord, there's something special that you have for us, Lord God. There's change, there's transformation, Lord God. There's victory, there's overcoming, Lord. So many things, Lord. We want to be able to see you and know the God that we're worshiping this morning. Have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 We don't want to just be religious. Paul walks through Athens, and he says that he sees all these different uh, idols of worship. They've got trees with inscriptions on them. They've got uh, golden uh, calves uh, that they worship. They've got, just like the Egyptians, no offense to my Egyptian family, but a God for everything. And then he says, but you know that you might not be worshiping all the gods that you think there are. So you have an inscription that says to the unknown God, he says, I want you to know that unknown God, the only real God, the only true God. So last week, the message in our I Am series was I Am Coming. And we looked at spiritual pregnancy and preparing a place for the coming one. How God says, I'm coming to you. I know that you have a need. I know that there's something that has to be done, and I am on the way. You are not alone. You are not forgotten. And we talked about spiritual pregnancy, something that you may have come thinking that, that uh, you weren't prepared to give birth, but hopefully some of you left last week and this week have been considering, man, my back's starting to hurt. My, uh, my hip's a little sore. I'm getting some cramps. You're pregnant. It's time to birth something. Something has to come. He's coming into our lives in an unexpected manner. If you didn't have a calendar, but you live here in America, how would you know that Christmas is coming? No calendar, no signs out. Go to the store, and this is exactly what will happen. You will hear something come over the radio. It'll either be in your car, it'll be in the store. If you have kids like I do at my house, you'll hear them letting this out. When the season has arrived, if you know it, you can sing it with me. He knows when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows when you've been bad or good. Oh, you better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. All right, give yourself a hand. Good job. Well done. So first reality check of the morning, Santa Claus does not know anything, and he is not coming to town. We sing it. It's on the radio. My kids are singing it. You know what I want to tell them? I kind of want to crush their dreams, and I'm not going to do that. He ain't coming. 
If you get something, it's because we gave it to you. And the only reason we were able to give it to you is because God gave it to us. Santa Claus is not real. But I'm not going to do that. Matter of fact, I'm getting up every morning really early or I'm going to bed really late so I can move this dang elf on the shelf all over the house. <laughs> Some people bless your lives in a whole lot of way, but I just want to say that I'm really upset with Julia and Gary for telling us about elf on the dang shelf. It's like 4 o'clock this morning, I woke up scared. I got to move the elf. Where's Skittles? <laughs> So Santa Claus is not coming to town. He doesn't know when you're sleeping. He doesn't know if you've been bad or good. None of that is true. But I can tell you who is coming and who does know, and it's the I am. He's coming, and he knows. Everything that we sing that Santa knows that he doesn't know, God does know. He knows when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. Please be good, for goodness sakes. Last week... He said, I'm coming. And this morning, for week number two, he says, I am aware. Say aware. aware. I am aware. Many people, and lots of Christians especially, we see God as an emotionless, immovable object that we're called to run into and to rub up against until we are somehow broken into pieces and become what he wants us to become. Let me say that again. When you look at God, when you think about God, even Christians, we think of God as some kind of, he's just immovable. He's an object. He has no emotion, right? He doesn't move. He doesn't think. He doesn't feel. And what it means to come to church is you say, this is how I've been living, but I'm going to run into this immovable object, and he's going to break me down. When I think I'm tough, he's going to show me I'm weak. When, he thinks I, when I think I'm strong, he's going to break me, break my bones, cause me to bleed, and at some point I'm going to say I'm tired of trying to move you I'm tired of trying to change you or make you show something. I'll just be whatever it is that you tell me I'm supposed to be. If that's the Christianity you're living, you're missing it. You're missing it. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 28, God's telling the children of Israel the consequences of living in a foreign land and serving foreign gods or false gods who actually are emotionless, powerless, and unaware. He says to them in Deuteronomy 4.28, he says, when you get there, there you will serve gods. The work of men's hands, wood and stone, which neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. He's saying, if you leave me, if you deny me, what you'll be forced to do is serve a false god who has no emotions. They don't eat, they don't smell, they don't listen, they don't hear, they can't impact you, they have no power. He's saying that is the opposite of what I am and who I am. So if you call yourself a Christian, but that's the reality of the God that you know, oh, we've missed something. He's warning the children of Israel, don't go serve a God that has no power. Don't pray to a God that can't hear you because he has no ears. And don't ask for help in a situation that you may be in from a God that's unaware. The Bible says that Jesus is God in the flesh. Somebody say amen. His name is Emmanuel. That means God with us, right? That he came down from heaven into a, a, a fleshly body to be with us, right? A real God. And we see that God is aware when we read through the Gospels. He's not just an immovable, emotionless, unaware object. He's a God who is actually aware of what's going on in our lives. Somebody say amen. When you read through Matthew, 
It says that he's moved with compassion. That's not emotionless. That's not a God who doesn't care. On Wednesday night, we're studying through, uh, through Matthew. Listen to how many times recently God's been moved with compassion. This is Matthew 9, 36. It says, when he saw the multitude, speaking of Jesus, when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. So what does he say? God says, I am aware of the weary and the directionless. Listen to that. He sees them like sheep with no shepherd, and they're tired, and, and Jesus says, I'm moved with compassion. My heart hurts. Why? Because they're tired, and they have no direction. I'm aware of the weary. I'm aware of the directionless. Matthew 14, 14. Jesus went out, and he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them, and he healed their sick. God says, I am aware of the sick. I care. I'm moved with compassion. I don't see you sick and coughing and not do anything about it. I don't see you about to be moved with tears and not walk around you and grab tissue for you. See, we can see it in a couple. We can see it in love, and we can see that action taking place. But in our relationship with God, many of us feel like we don't serve the God that will walk around us and grab a tissue for us because he doesn't care that we're sick, and he doesn't care that we're hurting. Matthew 15, 32 Jesus called his disciples to himself and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat, and I do not want to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. He says, I am aware that you have been following me. I am aware that you're hungry, and I don't want you to die or to suffer as you continue to follow me. Many of us come into church, especially if you're in ministry or you have responsibilities and you feel like, man, nobody sees how hard I've worked and nobody sees that I don't see an end to this. This is like something I want to do forever <laughs> and I think I might die in the process. If you can't say amen, don't worry, you'll get into ministry eventually. <laughs> but listen to what Jesus says. He says, listen, they've been following me. They're weary and they're hungry and I don't want them to faint along the way. They've got more to go. And he's aware of it. He's not just a slave driver watching you go until you're done and you can't do any work anymore and just leaves you in a ditch and he gets a younger, stronger slave to fulfill your spot. Our God is aware. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 34, it says that Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes and immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. God says, I am aware of the sightless. I am aware of those who come in, but they haven't been able to see yet. I'm aware of those who are close by, but they don't see what I'm trying to show them. They don't see what's ahead of them. They don't see salvation, maybe. They don't see destiny. They don't see the impact of their words. He says, I'm aware of it, and I'm going to give them sight, and they will follow me. When God decided to come into the world, more than anything, I believe what he was saying is, to humanity, I'm aware. I'm coming into the world because I'm aware of your condition. I am coming, right, like we saw last week, to seek and to save that which is lost, which means what? I have to know that it's lost. I have to know that it's hurting. I have to know that it needs help. I'm aware of the situation, and I am not an emotionless, immovable, spiritless object. I am a living God who loves and lives and breathes to love you and to help you. I'm aware. I would think that he might say that it's you and I who are unaware of the gravity of sin, that God himself would have to come out of heaven into the world and die 
so that we can be welcomed back into relationship with him. We might be the ones who are unaware. Amen? How often, how much time have you spent? The Bible says to read the word of God. It says to meditate upon it day and night. How often have you sat down and said, Lord, would you reveal to me what it really means that you would have to come out of heaven to this earth to die a ransom for me and my sin that I might be able to be in right standing with you and spend eternity with you? We think he's unaware and not paying attention. And I think he would say, do you have any idea what I've done for you? Do you have any idea the price that I've paid? The Bible says that you were bought at a price. You're not your own. The question we should be asking ourselves this morning is not, God, are you aware of what I'm going through, what I've been through, where I am? We should be asking ourselves, how could the God who takes away the sin of the world not be aware of who you are and what you're going through and what you need? How could he not be aware? If he is who we say he is, if he's the creator of the heavens and the earth, if he's the one that takes away our sin, if he's the one that gives us hope when we have no hope, if he's the one that makes things work when there was no possibility of them working, how could he not be aware of who you are and what you're going through? We say he knew us before we were formed in the womb, and we say that he knows the number of hairs on our head, but we act as if he's not aware of anything in our life. This season, we've been talking about the I Am series is about preparing a place for him, right? We saw the manger, and we know that, he, that his parents came in, right? That uh, Mary and Joseph, they came in to Bethlehem to be counted and to be numbered, to fulfill prophecy also, like the Bible says. They got there, they're looking, it says that there was no room in the inn. And he had to be born in a barn in a stable with a bunch of animals, probably because he knew he was going to be hanging out with a bunch of animals later. But there was no room in the inn for him. It's interesting, uh, the family that I stayed with when I was in high school, Sarah Tilcock's family, I was looking on Facebook and her mom, Diane, she, uh, she has a nativity scene in her, in her uh, front yard and she took, took a picture of it, posted on Facebook and her, her title said, uh, there's room in this inn for Jesus. See, not only is there room in this inn for her to put that little nice little thing out there and shine the light on it and for people to say, oh yeah, maybe you're one of those Christians, you, you look great during Christmas, but however many years ago it was, there was room in the inn for somebody who was hurting and in need to not just come for a couple of days and get a couple meals. I lived with them for like two years. I'd come home from college and just show up, just go right back there like it was my house, my room, walk in, I got a key. If you and I are going to receive the child, if we're going to receive something this season, we have to prepare a place in our hearts. We have to believe that he is God, right? We have to believe it. What's the point in preparing a place and coming to church and God's going to do something and something's going to be birthed, but in your heart and in your mind, the reality is, you know what? I don't really believe anything's coming. And I don't believe he's aware of who I am and where I am and what my needs are this Christmas. Don't even prepare a place. Believe he's coming and believe that he's aware. Number one this morning, I am aware of how it looks to you. That's what God would say this morning. I am aware of how it looks to you. You ever talk to somebody and like, maybe you're talking to me because I'm your pastor. And as I'm talking to you, you're thinking to yourself, you, you don't really understand what it's like for me. Because <laughs> I can tell by the response you're giving me that you're not, either you didn't hear me, pastor, or you're not paying attention. I told you I'm hurting. I told you I'm angry. 
I told you what she did. I told you what he did. But you're responding to me like you didn't hear me. God would tell you this morning, I am aware of how it looks to you. Just because it doesn't look that way to him doesn't mean he's unaware of how it looks to you. Somebody say amen. I want to say that again. Sometimes when I say that, it's because it really made sense to me. So I'm going to say it again. Just because it doesn't look that way to him doesn't mean he's unaware of how it looks to you. When I have conversations with people, sometimes it's just for the sake of time. Mary tells me all the time, you got to be more patient. I'm like, look, girl, I only got 24 hours. I only got 60 minutes in each of those hours. We could spend, I can have a conversation with somebody and it could take an hour because I got to spend 55 minutes just to make sure you know that I know how it looks to you. Just to make sure you know that I heard you and I understand exactly what you said and who was where and who called when and who texted first. I understand, I promise. I'll tell you for 55 minutes and then the last five minutes I can tell you what it is that God wants me to tell you. Or I'll give you like two minutes to tell me the story. <laughs> we'll have a seven minute conversation because I can tell you what it is that God wants you to hear and then we can get on with, with God moving. Apparently, she says, Bond, you are not the I am. You need to listen. Number one, I'm aware of how it looks to you, God says. Matthew 11:1. 1. Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. John is sitting in prison like we've talked about after serving God for all these years, and he's saying, Jesus, this ain't right. I did everything I was supposed to do, and here I am in prison. He didn't know this yet, but in a short while, I'm going to have my head chopped off. And Jesus is over here touching people, healing people, feeding people, and John's like, look, you must not be the Messiah. I couldn't have wasted my whole life waiting for this and for you. And you know what Jesus says? I'm aware of how it looks to you. I'm aware that where you are right now and how you're feeling right now, it must not look very good. When you and I struggle, this is what happens. We lose faith in God. And as Christians, thank God for this, we begin to fight for our faith, right? When you're going through something, you're like, man, is it real? Like, I mean, is God real? And is all this effort worth it? Is, is, is my life really changing? Am I different? Is there something alive inside of me that wasn't there before? You begin to lose faith. And you begin to think about what you've invested and whether or not now's the time to stop investing and to go back. You know what? I've gotten a little bit more moral. I've gotten a little bit more mature. I can just take what I learned from church and just go on with my life. But if you're a real Christian, you begin to say, no, I'm going to fight for my faith. I'm going to fight for what I believe in. I know what the Bible studies say. I had the app and I listened twice. That was a joke. You got that? <laughs> Thank you. But you know what happens to a lot of us when we begin to fight for our faith? We're like, Jesus is real. And I know that you're there. And I know that you saved me. And I know that I'm different. And I know that I have hope. And then we begin to say, well, then why the heck am I dealing with what I'm dealing with? You must not care. Because if you are real and I am saved, and you have changed the world, and you did come and die for my sins, the only logical explanation is you don't care about what I'm going through or you're not aware. Because if you did and you were, you would do something about it. You're God. 
He's aware. And he knows how it looks to you. We'll see what else he has to say. Number two, I'm aware and I know what I'm doing. <laughs> so it's a progression, right? First, I'm aware and I know how it looks to you. Second, I'm aware and I know what I'm doing. All right. I know what I'm doing. Jackie talked about trying to mislead Oscar with the directions to get to church. Anybody's been in that position before? I'll ask Mary. Hey, babe, do you have the address? Oh, babe, just push the button. It's going to come up in the phone. All you have to do is push the address. It's going to come up. comes up. And the whole time I'm looking over like, do you know what you're doing? Do you know how to, I mean, are we going the right direction? Did it say anything? You don't trust the person because you don't think they know what they're doing, whether it's an operational error or they're trying to mislead you and get you somewhere else. You know that that's how we treat God? Hey, you know what you're doing, God? Like, do you know where we're going? I, I know I told you I wanted to go to destiny, not destruction. <laughs> I know I told you I wanted a good man, not just any man, Lord. You obviously don't know what you're doing. I know I told you I wanted uh, financial stability, not overtime. Do you know what you're doing? <laughs> right? That's what we say to God. Do you know what you're doing? You know what he says? I am aware and I know what I'm doing. He's not like me and you. He doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't get you halfway somewhere and say, you know what? That was the wrong road. Let's, hey, come on, come on back. If you ever find yourself on the wrong road, trust and know this. I can tell you without a doubt, 100% certainty, it's your fault, not God's. <laughs> he knows where he's going. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 13 and 14, and then also verse 28, says this, who has directed the spirit of the Lord? Or who has, or, or as his counselor has taught him? With whom did he take counsel and who instructed him and taught him in the path of justice? Who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Have you not known, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary? His understanding is unsearchable. You know what that means? It means I'm aware and I know what I'm doing. Nobody teaches him. He doesn't learn. He is never surprised. There's no new information that's going to come to him. He never needs to redirect or reevaluate like you and I have to constantly do. He knows everything. His wisdom is unsearchable. You could spend and you will spend eternity learning something new about him and from him every day. When you get to heaven... It's not going to be like you get to graduate. Oh, yeah, I've been here. I've been here like two million years. You know, I learned it all. On the two millionth year and one day, you're going to wake up and be amazed and blown away about something else God has to teach you and show you. And he's, it's endless. It'll never end. The best day that you've ever had in church, the best Bible study you've ever heard, the best worship service you were ever in, the best prayer time that you ever had, the best relationship you were ever in with somebody else, it's going to be like that every day. I remember watching the movie. How many of you have seen the movie Office Space? Anybody? Cult classic. What's wrong with you? Oscar. Connie. <laughs> We're good. Everybody else. Let me think back because it's been a while. Maybe I shouldn't tell you to watch it. Anyway, there's a scene in the movie where the main character, he's trying to basically get fired. And he's getting interviewed, and they're like, they're like, hey, what's going on with you? How, how are you doing today? He says, it's pretty much the, the worst day of my life. And I said, really? He said, yeah, actually... 
Every day is the worst day of my life. Today is actually worse than yesterday was. <laughs> and tomorrow will be worse than today. And you should have seen the look on the guy's face who were interviewing, and they were just, you know, they were, they were just amazed that somebody could actually be living like that. So the opposite is going to actually be true for you and I. When you think it can't get any better, it will. When you think you can't know anymore, you'll learn. When you think that you've seen all there is to see about God, you'll see something new. When you get saved, when the Bible says that he, we are being transformed into the image of Christ, what God is trying to tell you is this, is that that process of eternity where when you get to heaven, it's going to be like that every day, he's saying you can start now. If you want to, you can start now. Nobody directs him. Nobody taught him. Nobody instructs him. Nobody teaches him about justice or knowledge or understanding. He's aware. He knows what he's doing. Whatever is going on in your life, that's the, that's the peace. When the Bible says that we have a peace that surpasses understanding, what it means is this. If I could take you like a child and put you into the hands of God and really trust this scripture that says he knows everything, he knows what he's doing, he's almighty and he's all powerful, what could be a more peaceful place to be than in his arms? The reality is for most of us, we'd rather be with somebody who doesn't know what they're doing and be in their hands than be in the hands of God who knows what he's doing. You know why? Maybe the reality is we don't think he's aware. We think we, that he's a lifeless, emotional pillar. Number three, I'm aware, and I know what's going on in your life. I'm aware, and I know what's going on in your life. John chapter 4, verse 16. We looked at this story a little bit last week. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come back here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband, and that you spoke truly. Earlier, we said that St. Nick knows when you've been bad or good, and that's not true. Jesus, Jesus does. <laughs> he knows when you've been bad or good. He wants to know if you know who he is, if you're going to be honest. He says, hey, go get your husband. I, I don't have a husband. You're right. You've had five, and the one that you're shacked up with now is not your husband. Thank you for telling the truth, but I already knew. Now that you and I are on the same page, we can start to move forward in your life. You know why a lot of us don't move forward in our life with God? He already knows everything that's going on in our lives, and we try to lie to him. And we try to lie to ourselves. And then we think if you can convince pastor or you can convince your friends, if you can convince your spouse, if you can convince your, uh, your coworkers, that somehow something good is going to come from that. No, the reality is you have to be honest with God. And when you're honest with God, he can move mountains in your life. He says, I'm aware, and I know what's going on in your life. He knows what's going on in my life. Here's the good news. He weeps with us. He mourns with us. He will heal us, whether the pain that we are going through is inflicted upon us by other people or if it's self-inflicted. That should be some of the best news that you've ever heard. I remember it being the best news I ever heard. He weeps with you. He mourns with you. He will heal you. And regardless, if the pain that you're going through right now, if whatever it is that you're struggling with, you're dealing with, whatever you've been through, if somebody inflicted that upon you, he'll come, he's aware, and he will do something about it. If it's self-inflicted, you made that decision, you ran into that situation, you asked for it, and you've gotten what you asked for, he still says, I'm aware, I'm coming, 
I'll heal you. I don't care if it was self-inflicted. I love you. The key is to know that he knows. Don't raise your hand. Don't answer out this morning, but be honest with yourself. How many of you this morning are in this place thinking that you're getting away with something? I got to tell you, you're not. He's aware. He's fully aware. <clears throat> you know how when, when like, you try to tell somebody something, but you leave out a bunch of very important details? Because you just want them to know enough that you're sorry and, you, and like, hey, I did something I shouldn't have done. It ain't like that with him. He knows all the details. When the thought popped into your mind about what you were going to do, he was there. When you made the calls, when you had that moment of maybe I should or shouldn't do this and you did it, he was there. He knows everything. He's aware. Say aware. aware. Number four, I'm aware and I know what I'm up against and I know what you're up against. It's one thing for him just to know what you're going through and to be aware of what you're going through, but another thing to say, look, not only am I aware, but I know what I'm up against as God, and I know what you're up against as whoever you are. Like I said before, some people don't really, you can talk to somebody, and they don't know what you're up against. They don't know what you're dealing with. Lately, I've been talking to a lot of people that, that have lost people. I got, a, I got a message this last week from a young lady that said, Pastor, uh, I lost my daughter four months ago, and I lost my brother last month to cancer. Her daughter was, I think, uh, maybe Four years old. Four months ago, she lost a four-year-old, and then she loses, and she's a young woman, and then loses her brother to cancer a month later. And she asked me, do you think that they know each other in heaven? Are they both there, and do they know each other? So I gave her what I thought the Spirit was telling me. I gave her some scripture. I prayed with her, prayed for her. But you know what the reality is? I'm only so aware. I don't really know what she's up against because I haven't been there. I can't experience that. God can impart something into my life and, and prayfully help me to help this young woman, but the, but the reality is, you know who she needs? She needs the I am. Because he's completely aware. Who's more aware of what it's like to lose a child than God who had his child come into the, had, had Jesus as a child come into the world and then he dies? Who's more aware of what it's like to lose a sibling than God? We, it says that we are all brothers and sisters in Christ, right? At Lazarus' tomb, what did it say? Jesus wept over his brother, right? He says, I'm aware. I know what I'm up against, and I know what you're up against. I've been there. Mark chapter 5, verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes, and when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him, out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. says this, he, he goes to the other side of the of the. Uh, it's basically like a lake. Gets the other side that somebody comes out of the cemetery that's living in the cemetery and meets him on the shore, right? Has unclean spirits. Who had his dwelling among the tombs and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains and the chains had been pulled apart by him and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. When you guys read stuff like this before I go on, does it, is this like a make-believe story to you? Or do you know that the Bible's real? Like, Jesus is one of those people that just makes up stories to make you, like, understand the point. This is real. He gets there, and this person that nobody in the city can tame, they try to, they try to jump him and pin him down and put shackles on him, and he breaks him off. 
He's cutting himself, bleeding all over the place, right? It says this in verse 6, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshiped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, what have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For he said to him, come out of the man, unclean spirit. Then he asked him, what is your name? And he answered saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. This man is going through it. Somebody say amen. He's under attack. He's got a legion of demons in him. He's tormented and trying to cut his skin that he could bleed or that something would come out that he knows is obviously inside of him. And then Jesus shows up on the scene. Why? Because Jesus is aware of what he's going through. He cast out this demon. The Lord says to this man, the same thing that he says to us, I'm aware, right? And I'm the one who can overcome anything that you're going through in your life. That's what we're supposed to take from this. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how heartbroken you are. It doesn't matter what you've done this morning. He knows what he's up against. He's up against legions of demons. And he knows what you're up against. You're being overpowered and you're being consumed. And he says, I am the one who can help you to overcome. I am the one who can give you victory. I am the one that can change everything in one encounter. I'm aware of what you're going through. It's not that I don't care. I think some of us feel like what we're going through is bigger than God. You might be right, it's bigger than me and it's bigger than you, but if you think it's bigger than God, you're wrong. You've been beaten. You've been raped. You've been addicted. You've been abandoned. You've been, you fill in the blank. You think that God is unaware and that he can't heal you? That there's anything in this world that would put you so far from God that he can't reach you? Or that he doesn't care? Or that he doesn't know that that happened to you? Sometimes the the thing that that gets me about church is like, we want a safe church, right? We want to be able to tell people like, hey, like you're kind of on this side of the line, bro. Like you've been through a little bit too much. There's probably a better church for you, for people like you, where you can just like, just try to stay out of trouble until you die. (laughs) We laugh, but you know what the reality is? In our hearts, some of us really feel that way. Let some people really, really going through it come in here. Really, really going through it. We've had some serious addicts in here. We've had some people call and threaten my life and threaten my wife's life. We don't want to be in church like that. Why? Because what we're thinking is you ain't never going to change. And God ain't really going to, obviously he's unaware of what you're going through and he has no power or ability to help you. So I don't want you in here with us. We're trying to huddle together and be safe and make it. What we should be is believing and praying. What we should be doing is saying, Lord, I did not expect that that woman to come in here. I did not expect that man to come in here, but I see what they're going through. I see what's going on. I'll be at church an hour early to be praying. You know why? Because I know you're aware and I know you can do something. And the prayers of a righteous man or a righteous woman availeth much. But you know what we do? We're going to show up late and leave early, or we're going to go find somewhere else more safe to fellowship. Why? Because we don't believe that he's the I am and that he's aware. 
Jesus' church had 12 people in it, and one was shady. <laughs> but man, the impact that they had, right? They fed thousands. They healed thousands. They went all over the world like missionaries. They worshiped in spirit and truth. Their eyes were opened. They left everything behind. However many we got in this room right now, I won't say 12 because I don't want to get rid of any of you guys, but however many we got in here, I'm good with that many if that's, a, that's the life that we have. Trusting in him, believing that he's aware. You know what else he says? He says that through your redemption, through your restoration, that's the best way that you're able to actually see him. Right? I've seen him do things in your life. I'm excited to hear the testimony of uh, Oscar and Jackie today and what they've been through and what God's beginning to do and restore. I mean, we can go across, we can just go down the line and see the things that God has done. But you know what the truth is? I see him the best when he does something in my life. When he does something in my life, I'm able to see him in a way and realize that he's aware and know his power that no other story could possibly provide for me. It has to be my story. Your story has to be the best Christian story that you know. Let me say that again. Your story has to be the best Christian story that you know. It doesn't matter what you see in movies and we see missionaries flying in, the whole family gets killed and then their family that they left behind goes to the same group of people and ministers to them. It's amazing. But you know what's a better story? If it's your story and you say, you know what? I didn't even know that I needed God. He came and he saved me. My heart was changed and transformed and I feel him on a daily basis. That story should be better to you than that other person's story. I want to close with this this morning. I want to tell you quickly some keys to trusting in the awareness of God. He is the one who says, I am coming, and he's also the one this morning that says, I am aware, but you have to be able to trust in the awareness of God. It doesn't matter if he says, I'm aware, but you don't trust him or believe it or allow that to impact your life, right? The key is faith. Say faith. On Wednesday night, we talked about stepping out of the boat in faith. If you haven't come to Wednesday night Bible study, it's not the same. Listen to it in the app, but come to church. (laughs) Listen to the questions. Listen to us wrestle with certain things. But we talked about stepping out in faith out of the boat, right? This is Matthew chapter 14, verse 24. He said this, the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it's a ghost. And they cried out with fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter, say Peter. Peter answered him, said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. What we talked about on Wednesday night, amongst other things, was overcoming the fear and anxiety that this life is constantly going to throw at us. Hearing the voice of God calling you out and to come to him, right? You got to hear him saying to you by name, calling you by name, saying, I understand. I'm aware of the fear. I'm aware of the waves. I'm aware of what you're dealing with. I know what you're up against. I know what I'm up against. But come. Come, right? And then we have to have a stepping out. You got to step out. 
Jesus calls us to come. He's completely aware of where we are. Somebody ever asked you to come and you didn't have no gas? Asked you for help financially, you didn't have any money? Asked you to pray, but you haven't prayed for yourself or heard from God in months? Somebody ever asked you to do something that you were literally incapable of doing because they're unaware of your situation? You're asking me for help, bro. I need help from you. With Jesus, he's aware of your situation. When he tells you or calls you to come, he knows what you do and don't have, and he's calling you on purpose. If we can put our faith in him, we can begin to be men and women who walk on water. What we do is we say the same thing to Jesus, like, hey, bro, I don't got it. I don't got it. No, I can't show up early. No, I can't stay late. No, I can't help. No, I can't give. No, I can't minister to anybody else. No, I can't pray. No, I can't. Just no, I can't. I don't have it. I don't have it. I don't have it. And what Jesus says is, when I tell you that the key to the awareness of God is about putting your faith in him and not you. You don't have it, and I don't have it either. We don't have it. But he's not asking you to have something. He's telling you what he has. When he says, come to me, what he's saying is, I know you don't have it, but I do. The whole point of me calling you is so I can give you what I have. (laughs) So stop thinking about what you don't have and stop thinking about what you can't do and just step out. You heard my voice, step out. Or sit in the boat and wait for it to sink. (laughs) And then you know what we're going to do when the boat sinks? You don't love us. (laughs) You don't care about me. You're not aware. (laughs) It's like he can't win, right? If I tell you to come out, you tell me you don't have what it takes. If I let you stay, you tell me I don't love you and you let, you let me drown. Galatians chapter 3, verse 23 says this. But before faith, before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for faith, which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. One of my favorite scriptures. What it's saying is, Paul here is telling them, look, God gave us the law. Thou shall not or thou shall. He says, but this was just a tutor to bring you close to Christ so that you can be in the right position that faith could come into your life. You weren't supposed to live by the law forever. The law was just supposed to get you, instead of being the heathen that you were and acting crazy like you were, he gave it to you that says, don't do this, you get a little bit closer. Don't do that, you get a little bit closer. Do do this, you get a little bit closer. What the Bible reads is this, that a bunch of quote-unquote Christians, they fell so in love with the law, they try to say, I'm doing better than you're doing. I listen more than you listen. I do more of the do's and I don't do more of the don'ts than you do. And they're living on the law. And what, God, what Paul is saying is that was just supposed to get you close enough to Christ that he could say, come, and you would have the faith to come. Yeah. It's a schoolmaster. It's a tutor. It says then once you have faith, you can leave the law behind. It doesn't, it doesn't disappear. What it does is you begin to walk in it and live in it, and it's inside of you, and you're doing the do's and don'ts without having to read them because it's in your heart now. Once we begin to trust that God truly is aware of all things that pertain to you, you'll learn how to step out in faith. When you really believe that, like, look, God, you know everything, everything that you're aware of, everything that pertains to me, 
My head, my heart, my thoughts, my past, my future, my destiny, my sin, my shame. You're aware of everything. You'll get out of the law and you'll step into faith. You'll begin to trust him. Last two verses. Hebrews 11, one says, now faith is. Say now. now. Before it was the law and a taskmaster to get you close to Christ, but now you have faith, and now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of the things you cannot see. What that means is it's become real to you. Substance and evidence in your life. Faith is no longer coming to church. Faith is no longer reading this book for at least 20 minutes a day. Faith now has substance and it's real. There's evidence in your life that God is real. That's what faith is supposed to be. There's got to be evidence that it's real to you and that he's real. When you explain God to people, do you talk about church? Do you talk about the Bible? Do you talk about your pastor? Do you talk about worship? And the steps that you can take to become more godly? Or do you say, let me tell you about somebody who's real and the substance and the evidence of the reality of the aware one? He knows me. He sees me when I'm sleeping. He knows when I'm awake. I mean, be, be real this morning. When you talk about him, think about it. Do you have faith? Do you know him? Do you know him better than your wife? Do you know him better than your husband? Do you love him more than your kids? Do you know him better than the job that you do at work every day? It's supposed to be real. It's supposed to be emotional. He's not an immovable, emotionless object in your life. He's the I am. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Faith activates his power to impact your life. He's aware, but faith is what opens the door for you to be able to have the impact of his awareness poured out into your life. He knows everything, but if you won't believe in him and you won't come to him and you won't listen when he says come to me and you never step out of the boat, he cannot do what he wants to do in your life. Think about it right now. I know everybody in here has a need. I'm not talking about your want, what you want for Christmas. Think about a need for just a second. What do you need? Is it healing? Is it deliverance? Is it hope? Is it victory? Is it whatever it is that you need? Now, just imagine the I am. Imagine Christ standing before you, but you're walking away from him, right? You're walking away from him, but he's only one step behind you. And what he's saying is faith is to turn to me, just turn around, just turn around and say, I believe. I believe you're here and that you're aware. And as soon as you do that, you don't have to backtrack a whole mile, he's right there, and these things begin to pour out into your life. Now think about this. If you never believe that he's there and you never turn, nothing will ever happen. It's impossible. It's impossible. He ain't going to force it upon you. Remember the rich young ruler came to him and he told him what he needed to do and he turned around and went. He didn't chase him. He's not going to force it on us. He says right here in his word, without faith, it's impossible to please me. If you come to me, you have to believe that I am and that I'm a rewarder of those who diligently seek me. We're going to close with this. We're going to close in worship. We're going to close in prayer. But worship team, it's okay. I have a, you don't have to come up right now, Isaiah. Thank you. But I'm glad, I'm glad that you're ready, bro. You're like Peter. Everybody say Peter. Peter. Amen. 
We're going to close actually talking about Peter, and we're going to worship and, and pray for just a few minutes. In Luke chapter 22, verse 31, so we heard, we heard this morning and, and a little bit on Wednesday about the disciples being in the boat, right? And does God care that this boat is, is being overtaken? God says, I'm aware, and he comes to them, and Peter is the one to stand up and say, look, Lord, if it's you, just call me. Then I know that you know me, and I know that you're aware of what my situation is, and that you will take care of it somehow, and I'll come to you. Just call me, right? That's Peter. This is in Luke chapter 22, verse 31. It says, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you. Good Lord. Do we serve the emotionless, immovable object of Jesus, or do we serve the Jesus who stands at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us? He tells Peter, look, Satan has asked me for you. He wants to sift your life like wheat. But I've prayed for you, that your faith, say faith. faith, that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But Peter said to Jesus, Lord, I'm ready to go with you, both to prison and to death. Then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you even know me. I can hear Jesus saying to Peter, I can hear Jesus saying to me, I can hear Jesus saying to each of you here this morning, I am and always have been and always will be aware of who you are and what you're going through. He's telling Peter, listen, I know you and I'm aware. You tell me you're about about it and you're going to die with me, we're going to go to prison and it doesn't matter what happens, look. Before tomorrow even gets here, you're going to act like you never even knew me. I'm aware. But listen to this. You know what else he says? I'm also aware of your future. I know you're coming back. I know this isn't the end of your story. When I'm being beaten and dragged and whipped and I'm dying and you're looking right at me, you can see me and you act like you don't know me, I love you anyway. I love you. I'm aware of why you're like that. You know why you're like that? Because you're weak and you're human and you need God to come and live inside of you. That's why I'm coming. That's why I'm aware. And I want you to know it. You're going to come back. So just so you know, when you do come back to me, take care of your brothers. There's only going to be 10 because Judas is going to be gone. Take care of them. You guys got to change the world, he says. Do you serve the God that knows your past, your present, and your future? Are you so in love with his awareness of you? You know what the best feeling is? It's not to be perfect and it's not to be sinless. It's to be forgiven. I guarantee you of all the things that Peter experienced, I guarantee the best moment for him was after he denied Christ. And then he felt the Holy Spirit come over him and tell him he was already aware and you're forgiven. You have a destiny still. You have a future still. You have a family still. You have ministry still. Later on, we see Peter do what? Lead the church. Lead thousands to Christ. I'll never leave you nor forsake you, he says. I'll give you eternal life and never-ending joy.
So what we're going to do this morning, I'm going to pray. I'm going to release you. I'm going to ask Zach to, to play a video in just a second. It's just a song, but you can look at the words. But here's what I want you to do before you leave. Whether you come to the altar, the altar is open. If you need prayer this morning, it doesn't matter what it's for, what it's about. If God ministered to you in some way, come maybe and just let it be solidified with some prayer time. But what I want each of us to do, whether it's a minute or 10 minutes, whatever it takes you, I want you to pray about the awareness of God. Just pray for a minute, and maybe you would ask him, are you aware? Maybe you would ask him what that awareness means for you. Just the awareness of God, that he would be able to say, I am aware, and see if that might impact you. See if that might matter to you. See if there's something going on in your life that's maybe similar to Peter, where he really needed God to be aware of his future. Peter might have never made it back if Jesus didn't tell him, when you come back to me, strengthen your brothers. He might have never made it back. You know, there's people that might not ever make it back to church unless you call them and say, hey, you're forgiven. You think God wasn't aware of what you were going to do and what you were going to go through when he saved you? He's aware. He's the aware one. So would you just spend a few minutes praying, Lord, just watch over us. We know that you're aware. We just need to be more aware. We know that you'll never leave us nor forsake us, Lord God. We know that you have a hope and a destiny and a future for each and every one of us, Lord. During this time, I pray that you would just send your spirit, that you would speak into our individual lives, Lord, that we would uh, rejoice in the lives of others and in the testimonies of others, Lord God. Oh, but our faith would be built on our own testimony, Lord, what you're doing inside of each and every one of us, Lord, that it would be real, that there would be substance, that there would be evidence, Lord, of your awareness and of your love for us, that you truly have come, that you'll come again, Lord God. Just have your way, Lord. We love you. Call us out. We want to come to you, Lord. Call us out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.